talk to you this morning about um, being made into the image of God. Um, the, the, I want to prophesy to you, you know, um, the army uh, that's coming, the Joel 2 army that's about to step foot on the earth is actually in the process of being transformed into the image of God, that we are actually image bearers, that we are to bear the image of, of Christ, and, and it is that thing that is our calling card. And, um, you know, being changed into the image of God really depends on what you believe and what your image of God is. And so whatever your image of God is, that's actually what you're going to become. That's why it's so important for us to, to, um, to get the real deal. And that we really see and we really hear. This is really a message of hope this morning, and I want you to be encouraged because of what's coming. There's actually a veil that's getting really thin, and I'm going to talk about that a little later, but there's a veil that's getting really thin to access the holiest of all and access the holy of holies. And it's the place that that, um, the bride is going to spring forth from. Without the truth of his true nature... The word says that we are corrupted. And so we have to know the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God should be our foremost desire and our our primary objective. That we would know God and know who he is. That we would know his nature so that we can reflect his nature. Romans 1.23 says that we are changed the glory of the incorrupt, that we have changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. So when we see God like we see ourselves, that's what we're going to reflect. We're going to reflect a humanistic viewpoint to the world around us. But when we see him with an unveiled face, beholding him as in a mirror, then we will become like him. When we see him, when this, when this veil, as this veil is being pulled back, we actually begin to get transformed into his image from and going from glory to glory. And then you'll begin to notice as this happens that people begin to be drawn to the likeness of his glory, to the beauty of his glory. It's not that they're being drawn to us, that when he is lifted up, all men, he will draw all men to us because they will be, they don't even know why they're coming. But they're coming because of, of what they see, what their spirit is seeing, even though they, even if they're unsaved. Yeah, <clears throat> I had the most remarkable thing happen to me the other day, and a lot of you have probably experienced similar things, is when somebody gets drawn to you, but they don't know why, right? So I was in this place, I'm not going to go into the details, but I was in this place, and this, this young girl, she was about 13 years old. She, she walked across the room. She kept looking at me and kept looking at me and kept looking at me. And I thought, well, hmm, that's interesting. So she walks. She leaves her parents and she walks all the way across the room and she comes and she sits next to me. I mean, she sits next to me. And I thought, okay, this is kind of awkward. And, and she kind of awkwardly tries to talk to me, but mostly she just sits there. You know, and it's like she's she's smelling the fragrance of the Lord, hopefully, or either that or this is really a weird thing going on here. So then I go to another I, I go to another room and she is also taken to this other room and there's a glass door where I am. She takes a chair. Now her mom and dad are in this other room. She doesn't go in the room with them. She takes a chair and she places it outside of the room that I'm in. And looking through the glass door, she's doing this. She's waving at me. And I'm like, hi. 
and 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 I was in a situation where I couldn't go out and minister to her. But I but I but while she was sitting next to me in the other room, I had an opportunity just to just to talk to her and love on her and encourage her. And but but what but what was she doing? She was looking at the, she was seeing the image of God. She was sensing something that she had no explanation for. And so she was being drawn. They will be drawn to his light. They will be drawn. We're called to be salt, right? We're salt. So, I, I, hopefully, I'm, I'm, she was seeing that in me and that was causing her to respond to it, even though she may not have understood it. So turning your Bibles to uh, Genesis 1, 26. Ah, <clears throat> uh, you don't have to turn there. You know it. All right. <laughs> Genesis, right? God is creating man. And he said, let us, the three, so he's talking about the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let us make man in our image. And so he said, this is, this is the heart of what I'm trying to do. The very first thing that he spoke about man is that he was to be made in his image. So Adam was an image bearer. He was somebody that came to represent God on the earth and all creation could see him. And then he said, and through this image, now let him take dominion. So what happened, and we all know the story. Is that when Adam began to look at creation instead of looking at the creator, it actually caused him to die. Is that mine? No. Okay. <laughs> oh, did I not silence my phone? <laughs> See, there's only one that can create, and that is the uncreated God. There's only one that can create life in us, and that's the uncreated God. But when we make anything else in our life besides this an idol and we begin to worship that, it cannot give us life. Anything that is, that is created and we begin to gaze at that and we begin to worship that, the Lord tells us over and over in his word that that is an idol. And that's going to bring death to us, just like it did to Adam. All created things cannot create. He said in Jeremiah twice, these carved images that we created do not have breath in them. They do not have breath in them. See, when he, when he encountered Adam in, in the garden, it said that he encountered him in the cool of the day. That word cool means breath. So, so every day, the breath of God would encounter Adam and he would breathe on him and it would create life in Adam. But you cannot breathe on a person if they are facing this way. You cannot take in the breath of God unless you are face to face with him. So there was a time every day that the breath of God came to Adam. And it was the posture of somebody that was looking in a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> so the word says that when Adam had Seth, it said that Seth was made in Adam's image. And so it was from generation to generation to generation. And Israel continued to try to carve out an image Even at the mountain, when Moses went up the mountain, what were they doing? They were carving an image of gold. So desperately do we want to worship. And he said, but these created things cannot give us life. But only the uncreated God can make us into his image. And it wasn't until Jesus broke in on the scene and the Spirit overtook Mary and God took what was created and he birthed in her 
what was uncreated by the Spirit, and he created a new Adam through Mary. And he came so that the image of God could be seen on the earth again. So when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he said, Father, I have come so that they may know you, so they may have a knowledge of you, so that they may become like you, so that the world can see the, that we are alive in them. John 17, the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, he said, God, I pray for those who will believe in the words of these disciples and apostles. I pray that they would be one with me and you so that the world will believe that we love them and the, the glory that I have will be in them. From glory to glory, we are made into his image. This is such a message of hope. The first Adam became a living being, but the second Adam, he is a life-giving spirit. And when Pentecost broke in, what happened? The very breath of God came upon man again, and he breathed, and it came with a sound, and it broke in to the condition of man, and it resurrected us from death back to life. Yes. And he keeps telling us over and over, beloved, I'm coming back, but I'm coming back for those that look just like I look. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that he took our sin and he could, so that we could freely behold him and become one with him. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he came and what he did is he said, listen, I'm going to remove all these stumbling blocks. I'm going to take away all of your sin so that there's a clear pathway from, from me to you so you can now come to me and you can be made in my likeness that you once again can be the perfect representation of my father in the earth he, he so that we could be come we could become so we could look at him and behold him then we could become like him You know, Jonathan Edwards in 1725 hosted the first great revival, and he said this. This was a cry of his heart. Lord, stamp eternity in my eyeballs so I can see things from your perspective. Good. And John Wesley, he used to walk into a factory. You've heard the story of John Wesley. How many of you know the story of John Wesley? Okay, he walks into a factory of, of workers, right? And what happens is, is he's, he hasn't said a word. And as he begins to walk by people, he hears these small, faint whimpers. And they're crying, and they begin to cry, and the cry gets louder and louder and louder. And the owner of the factory comes out because the machines have stopped. And he looks around, and everybody is on their face. And they are repenting to the Lord. Why? Because there was a man that went after the image of God. And he began to reflect the image of God. And when he walked into a place, they encountered the very image of God because he became a carrier of the brilliance of who Christ is and the very nature of God stepped into that place. What did it cause them to do? It caused them to repent because they saw themselves in the reflection of who God truly is. And they saw their need for his grace grace and his power. And this is what he said. He said this. He said, this is what this revival that's coming is going to look like. It's going to be a wave of renewed repentance because we see God rightly. Turning your Bibles to Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10. 
and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So we're to put on the new man, which is renewed. The new man is renewed in, the no in knowledge after the image of God who created us. That word knowledge, the Greek meaning of that is the revelation received by encountering the source of the revelation. It means the revelation, right? The revelation received by encountering that source. You know, every time you pick up this word, this word is not just words on a page, but this word is alive. It should be illuminated by the Spirit of Christ, by a revelation that as that word begins to come in us, it begins to transform us into his likeness. Amen. The word renewed here means to um, be conformed or be like. So we're to be conformed into the image of this, this man. This, the, 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 think about that. Think about the, the reality of that. We're going to be transformed to look like God. That ought to put um, hyperspeed on your prayer life. <laughs> so the new man is your spirit. The new man or your spirit is changed to the degree that you understand and know what God is like. See, Jesus took the Pharisees to task, right? Not, not because necessarily of what they were doing on the outside, but what they looked like on the inside. Because what was on the outside and what was on the inside was different. And he called them hypocrites. That word means you're a poser, you're an actor, you're pretending to be one thing, but in truth, you're really another. See, Jesus is not really after my works. He's really after my heart. Yeah. And the works spring out of the heart. Yeah. Time and again, he tells us this, that it's your inner life. It's your inner life that he's after. He called them whitewashed tombs. Ouch. Because they weren't willing to be transformed on the inside. So what is the likeness of God? Well, the likeness of God is the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know about the nature of God, look at the fruit of the Spirit. This is what he's like. Joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering. I don't know how about you, but I know with me, God is really long-suffering. Because it's like, really? Haven't we already talked about this like a thousand times? <laughs> I mean, it took me four years for him to tell me to start a house of prayer. Beloved, that's long-suffering. <clears throat> Goodness, faithfulness. He's faithful even when I'm not, you know? He's faithful to finish what he starts in you. Amen. Come on, man. This is good news for us. Yeah. So what we have to do really is leave the elementary. I see, I see um, so many in the body of Christ, you know, the gifts are really kind of new to the body of Christ. I mean, if you think about it, if you think in the span of 2,000 years, you know, and you've seen a breaking in, and it hasn't just been a revival when William Seymour, really the charismatic movement really came out of Azusa Street um, um, in L.A., right? L.A. or San Francisco? L.A. So it's fairly new, and it's kind of like having a new toy. It's like, look, I can pray for someone, and they get healed. So we're all running around going, you know, I want to be like this healer. I want to be like this healer. But unfortunately, uh, what happened with William Brennan it, and, and what he said, the reason that the, the spirit of the Lord, the intensity that was back then, and I remember Neville Johnson saying this recently, he said that the Lord told him that, the, this, that he left, that the Lord lifted his hand on that revival because people wanted the work of God, but they didn't want God. And he said, I, I saw the end of this, the result of this, and I knew that I had to pull back and visit another generation that, whose hearts were prepared to receive the fullness of, this, of, of the gifts. So really, God is after um, 
our heart and as our we let our hearts be tenderized and we begin to move from glory to glory we're going to actually begin to see the gifts being brought back to the body of Christ to its fullness <clears throat> because beloved I'll tell you when the gifts in full strength and full measure come to a person whose heart has not been tenderized with the nature of God and, and representing the image of God you fall into all kinds of things the three G's gold glory and girls <laughs> Woo! and we've seen that time and again uh, turning your Bibles to Ephesians 5 verses 1 Ephesians 5 therefore be imitators of God dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma and that's what you want people, you want them to smell you. You know, I loved what Jeremy said on Thursday when he was talking about Mary's oil that was poured out on Jesus as he was crucified. And that is the oil that we are still smelling today. I just thought that was such brilliant revelation because we should have that same smell. People should smell us. And I'm sure that that's, I'm hoping that that's what this young girl, this young 13 year old girl was, was doing. She was smelling something. I love that. There's that dinosaur show with, with Petrie, you know, where he's like, you smell me. <laughs> it's kind of a thing around our house anyway. <clears throat> but fornication and all uncleanness or covetedness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. And so he's, he's calling the person that does all of this thing somebody that is actually worshiping an idol he's saying you don't have the right image of me therefore this is the result okay where am I has any inheritance in the kingdom of God let no one deceive you with empty words for because these because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience so he's saying listen don't let anybody deceive you with words therefore don't let anybody say one thing and then you watch with their actions they're doing another beloved that's witchcraft that's just manipulation that's like I, I'm, I want you to see me as this way and I'm going to present myself with my words in one way but then my actions don't line up with my words because I'm not willing to take the time to go into the secret place and let God carve me out have you ever been carved out it's awesome <laughs> sometimes <laughs> So he's saying if you're practicing these things, then you have a corrupted view of the image of God. Therefore, you are idolaters and have made God in another image. Dude, I do this. I mean, this coarse jesting stuff. I mean, sometimes I, my humor, not sanctified. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm learning more and more and more not to talk very much. <laughs> It's really a safe place. And this, if anybody knows me, you're like, what are you talking about? That's a well that it will not shut up. It's just like, oh. but it really is a safe place to go. And so I find myself doing this these days. You know, never mind. But it's good. It's good makes me an interesting person to live with right John John's like what what nothing I better for me to just not say it <laughs> all right the two attributes that safeguard us and help us to continue to grow towards oneness is the fear of the Lord and humility I've noticed that those that have those two attributes really sail through this process very easily um, so the process of being made into the image of man comes through really three stages as I have seen it over the years. Can you put up the image for me? <clears throat> okay, this is a picture of the Old Testament temple, which is really 
a good way of, of viewing how we move through and become the, the image of God. And um, in the outer courts is really um, those who first got saved and they've got a prayer life that basically looks like, um, you know, when I get in trouble, I'm, I'm going to pray. But the rest of the time, I'm just going to hang out. And so there's really actually no reflection of the image of God because everything is based on needs. It's not based on, on um, Christ. It's not based on the image of who God is. It's not the desire is not based on the knowledge of God. And so you really you see the, the most of the body of Christ in the place of the outer court, unfortunately. <clears throat> so really through desire, um, we go through that first veil into the holy place. And that's really in the place of the holy place is the place where the majority of transformation happens in our lives. Those who have given themselves to a place of prayer and they pray, not a list, but they pray until they have an encounter. They pray until they encounter a man and they begin to get a revelation of who he is and that's their daily bread. See the priests, there were three things in the holy place. It was the altar of incense and the table of showbread and the candlestick. So it was that place and, and daily they had to send incense up to the Lord. So daily you have to go into that place of prayer and it's not a have to. We have to cry out until our hearts get awakened in desire and say, I so long to be with you. I miss you, you know, and then uh, you've got the showbread. Well, the showbread, the place of Christ that we're supposed to be consuming every day, the word of God, that place where we're fed, the body of Christ has to be illuminated with light, the revelation of who Christ is. So that when we're, when, when we're there and we're in the place of prayer, we're actually being transformed into his likeness. And so that's really a place of sanctification or a better way, you know, getting rid of all that nonsense, you know, so that our image is right. And beloved, I'll tell you something. Th there is a company of people who have now begun to function in the holy place. And they've begun to, to be transformed into the image of God. And they're very, it's a very uncomfortable place. Because I tell you what, on the, in the outer court, there's no persecution in the outer court. Nobody cares. They can't tell the difference between a believer and the world in the outer court. But as you step into the holy place, all of a sudden, you're getting changed. Your desires, your wants, your, the things that you care about are beginning to be transformed. And people around you are beginning to be drawn to you or they're beginning to persecute you. Yeah, that's right. And then there's one more place. And see, this is what I believe God is doing in the days to come. And this is what's so exciting and gives me so much hope. Because the veil between the holy place and the holiest of all is getting very thin. That you've got the people in the holy place that are really pressing into God. And they are beginning to shine with the, with the brightness of his countenance. And it's really causing that next place to be so open to us. And this is the really weird place. This is where all of the funny animals are and, and you begin to access the throne and you begin to go into the mysteries, the deep mysteries. This is a place where you begin to legislate from heaven. This is a place where you sit next to him. This is a place where you have become made into his likeness. And it's no longer, I'm going to go and have my prayer time. I have become prayer. I have become in his likeness that everywhere I go, I'm dwelling with God. It, the place that I, I don't go to a place to be with God. I am the place where I'm, the angels are ascending and descending over me. That the, that the very incense of God and the presence of God is going up over me. Everywhere I go, beloved. This is where some of the forerunners that went before us, the John G. Lakes, the William Branhams, the William Seymours, this is the place that they accessed. And this is the place that people will fall down and give their lives to you or they're going to want to kill you.
Praise the Lord. Come on, we didn't get into this for a party. Well, we did, but it's going to be a party unto death. I don't love my life unto death, right? How many of you have that on your refrigerator? <laughs> right? All right, so in conclusion, I just want to pray this over you. I want to pray Colossians 2, 2 through 3. I just want to pray this apostolic prayer. Father, I ask that everyone here would be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love with you. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm asking God that you would open us up in hunger, in revelation, that we would become one with you in the holiest of all. Father, our pursuit at you does not stop at the outer courts, and our pursuit of you does not stop in the holy place. But Father, awaken this generation that we can fully go in, that we would surrender all to be made in your image from glory to glory that we would see and know what is the hope of this glory. And it would cause us to continue to, to throw off everything that hinders love. I pray that you would bless us today with the revelation that we are being made and that you are a great craftsman. So, Father, we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.